Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. James Nash is the owner of Six Ranch Outfitters and the Six Ranch Outfitters podcast. Unbeknownst to everyone that listens to this, Blood Origin started around 2017. And in, the, 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 in, in 2018, I attended my first show season and ATA was the first port of call for me. And funnily enough, it was the first show that James Nash was at two and we met each other there and we were both sort of peddling our wares at the same time like trying to figure this thing out this industry out and who we were and what we wanted to do and it's funny that five years later we connect on a podcast and just have a great conversation goes all over the show touches a lot of different topics including llamas you'll have to wait till the end about that but just a phenomenal conversation with James I know you're going to enjoy it if you enjoyed James, obviously go check out his podcast because he has a great one. And enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is... <laughs> Does my hair look okay? My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a 
a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Cabin that I live in, and when the wind blows in the winter like this, you could about fly a kite inside, but we've got the, the wood <laughs> stove next to glowing, and if you stand close enough to it, it's warm. Are you married? Have kids? Uh, I don't have any kids. Um, nope. Nope. Just me. Just you. Not married either. Nope. Nope. Um, no, I'm a... Uh, I'm in a in a relationship, but I I kind of keep like that private life and then the for the sure more public stuff separate. You know, there's uh there's a lot of crazy people in the world, and uh, in the past that has spilled over into into my personal life. And you know, people that get upset about you know hunting, uh, they start to come after your family, and that's uh that's unacceptable for me. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, you're talking about the cold draftiness in your house. My kids are jumping on the trampoline outside right now. Good for them. Waiting, well, for, the, waiting for the snow to arrive. We live in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, I think it's about 37 right now. It's been dropping all through the day. It should be 21. It's 4 o'clock now. It should be 21 by 6. Okay. Well, if you guys get some snow for Christmas, that would be pretty special. Well, we've just moved up to Memphis. You know, this has been a huge transition for the family and whatnot. And the boys really have never had snow. They've they had snow when they were kids, like like two and three. They just don't remember it. So they are just like, we want the snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I so, get it. You know, there's been a lot of years here that you don't know if you're going to get snow for Christmas, and then it almost always does. We're always cold. It's always cold in the winter, but the the level of snowfall changes a lot. Last year, we didn't have much coming into this part of the year, but on, gosh, the 3rd of January or something, I think, I think we had like a foot, foot and a half of snow on the ground, and then we got another foot in a storm, and it blew about 70 miles an hour for, for a whole day. Jeez. And... The snow drifts were just amazing. It actually completely covered my truck, went over the top of the cab of my truck. Phenomenal snow drifts. I ended up having to take snowmobiles to town to get like groceries and dog food. Um, and then we didn't get much snow after that, but those drifts were so big and so solid that it wasn't until, um, gosh, I think it was like April 5th that that snow drift actually melted in my yard. Jesus um, creepers. Yeah. So you I just saw a picture know. from someone from Alaska. Paige Wallace, um, who we've done a little This Is My Why on, she showed a picture of her car at the airport, and there was no visibility to the car. It was just, there was a foot of snow around the vehicle, all around the vehicle. I said, how did you know it was your car? Like, you know, you generally know where you've parked when you go to the airport, but you don't know exactly, like, she was like... There was a little bit of white sticking out, and I could get the flashes to flash with my alarm. <laughs> nice. I was like, oh my gosh. That's a, that's a good clue. Paige is a killer, um, and she's a veterinarian or something too, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, she is yeah. a killer. I like her a lot. I like her a lot. Well, James Nash, 
Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. We should have done this six months ago, and I apologize. Um, no, but welcome. Yeah, it's uh, thank you very much. Thank you, but don't don't apologize. Actually, Ravi, I remember um, ATA. Gosh, this might have been 2017 or so, 2016. My maybe? first 2017, my first ATA show. Yeah, um, and you were you were walking around meeting people, and you're like, I've I've got this idea. And uh, <laughs> I can't believe you remember that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, um, see where it goes. And, and look at you now, man. You're killing it. You're doing it. That kind of follow Shit, through man. is so rare. It's so rare. Um, and partially it's because people have bad ideas to begin with. Partially it's because people um, come up against some type of turbulence and they quit. But uh, you had a good idea and, and you've, you've managed to keep going despite all the struggles. And, Good on you, man. Proud of you. Shit, dude. Man, thank you. Like, it is. Uh, there's one thing I'm really good at, or well, two things. One, being consistent. And two, being patiently persistent. And, yeah, I remember I was, you know, I'm thinking, I was actually talking to someone earlier today about the show season coming up, the 2023 show season. And I'm like, we've had such a massive 2022. Just a, like, in, We've even leveled up in 22. I'm like, I, I like, I want to walk around the shows now, and like, there's going to be people who know us. Like, I've got text messages. Hey, there's some brands that want to, you know, they they know we. I'm going to introduce you to them, but they know of you already. And I'm like, versus the 2017 ATA, where I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I I've got this idea. I'm going to pedal it. And if I see someone that I recognize, I'm going to walk around them in circles until they get free. And then I'll go <laughs> in with my two-minute elevator pitch. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And you're right. It's almost like I didn't know at the time that there were thousands of other people like me pitching ideas almost the same, not the same thing, but just in the same sort of idea genre kind of scenario. And the same thing you just said, Jim Shockey said to me, he says, I would have lost money in you going away. But you kept coming, you kept emailing me, you kept saying, look at this content, look at this content, look at this, look at that. Hey, remember me, I'm still here. And uh, so yeah, man, I'm thankful for the kind words. And yeah, we just, I, I feel like we've just started scratching the surface. I think that we've, we've started something that feels unique that has we're almost like that little spear tip we're, we're super nimble we're not bureaucratic we are gentlemanly respectful full of you know acumen so yeah world's our oyster man that's right that's right and you know you talk about persistence and patience those those things combined that's that's how rivers carve canyons you know you can't just throw water at a rock and expect something cool to happen 
uh, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. And those, those gains can feel so gradual, so microscopic that, that, that you don't notice them. And, and I, I find the same thing for myself all the time. And I'm, I'm especially critical of myself and the type of progress that I make. But the only thing that I have to do at any given point is to look back a year. Be like, all right, where mm-hmm. was I? Where was I right now a year ago? And uh, if you take it back to 2017, look at where you and I both were then. Without, mm-hmm. That's unrecognizable. Unrecognizable. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I would love to have the opportunity to follow the two of us around at that show and just observe what that looked like. You know, I was uh, so so big-eyed and and starstruck and didn't understand how anything worked, and I still don't understand. But uh, yeah, I, I I feel like I've got a little better handle on it now. <laughs> was that your first ATA as well? It was, yeah, because I had I had uh, only recently gotten out of the Marine Corps th- at that time, um, so I was just kind of starting to get my feet under me and, and gain some momentum in my businesses. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was very eye opening and, and a great show. I met a lot of people that I'm still friends with today at that show. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good one. I, I encourage people to, to go to those things if, if they have the time, you know, ATA is wonderful. The sheep show is really wonderful. Um, the Western hunting expo is terrific. The, uh, the Portland, uh, Northwest sportsman show is another great one. Um, I think that wherever you go, if you go to one of those shows, um, whether it's, you know, SCI or Dallas Safari or shot, whatever, you're going to meet somebody that, um, you'll probably both be able to, to benefit from knowing the other one. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, what, what could be more wonderful than, than developing that type of relationship with somebody that you wouldn't have met otherwise? Yeah, 100%. 100%. So for those who may not know you, James, and, and what you do, um, we have a pretty global footprint in terms of, or fingerprint in terms of who listens to this. Give them a little sense of who you are, my man. Gosh, yeah. Um, that's something that I always kind of struggle with, right? Because we're always evolving. And, and when people ask me what I do, you know, my first reaction is almost to be like, well, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, but uh, simply put, I'm, I'm an outfitter. I own Six Ranch Outfitters. I own the Six Ranch Podcast. I live on the Six Ranch. The Six Ranch is my, is my family's ranch, which is located in Northeast Oregon. This ranch was founded by my great-great-grandfather in 1884 and has been run by my family since then. It's one of the oldest businesses in the state of Oregon. If you go to other parts of the world, um, you can find businesses and family businesses that are much older. But in, in Oregon, because it was, it was settled late, um, this is about as old as it gets. It's not a mm-hmm. huge place, but it's very beautiful. Uh, I spent, uh, I spent five years in the Marine Corps as a tank officer. I spent five years in college getting a degree in literature and writing. Uh, I lived in Norway for a year when I was in high school. Um, so now I guide fly fishing trips. I guide some hunting trips. I hunt professionally. I work as a brand ambassador for a lot of different companies and that I'm really privileged to work with. And, uh, and then I 
do a lot of advocacy work for, for guns, for wildlife. Um, I do consulting for private landowners to improve wildlife habitat on, on their places. Um, and I've done some of that work for state agencies as well. So, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, as, as bare-boned of an answer as I can give you uh, with some, some degree of, of um, yeah. Is the ranch a, a mixed-use ranch? Is it wildlife and cattle? It it is wildlife and cattle, but not not wildlife in a commercial sense. Uh, next year will actually be the first year that I do any type of um, guided hunting here on the ranch. I can talk about that a little bit, but um, we we do fish here on the ranch, um, but primarily it's cattle, it's horses, it's sheep, it's chickens, it's produce, uh, honey. We have a farm stand that's an honor system farm stands, and it's located on a state highway. Awesome. People. Um, just come up and, you know, grab what they need and throw their money in a box and, and move on with their lives. Works out great. Um, yeah, but next year I'm, I'm actually really excited because I'm, I'm going to be guiding, uh, I'm going to be guiding two guys here on the ranch, one hunter and one observer, and I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't make any sense from a business perspective, but ethically it makes a lot of sense to me. And so I, I want to guide this trip in a way that these gentlemen will never need a guide again. Most guides are trying to get repeat clients and that's definitely something I've done a lot of, but, uh, but these fellows are going to come out and we're going to start with a shooting school. And then we're going to move into a camping and hunting school. We're going to go hunting. And if we're successful, then I'm going to give them a, a butchering class as well. So they're going to come out of that with everything they need to know to be able to go out and hunt something, uh, you know, camp in the backcountry, take care of their own meat, and, uh, and we'll probably do some cooking along with that. So they should never need to call me again. <laughs> Um, the, the other thing I wanted to mention, you don't know this, not probably not many people know this at all, but given the fact that you work with SIG, we've got three bad ass films coming with SIG and it's got, there's no hunting at all in the three films. It's all about PR, Pittman Robertson, mm-hmm. and its impact on state agencies and the projects that they do in Arkansas, Maine, and New Hampshire. That's fantastic. Was one of those the bear project? uh, No, no, no. That's a separate project. That's a separate, that was a separate fundraising event that we did. Gotcha. Um, But it's the first film, and I'll I'll just, I'll give a sneak peek to everyone. The first film is called The Surge, which is tied to the surge of people coming out of, through the pandemic. The second film is called, um, shit, just lost my freaking train of thought in terms of the second film. Doesn't matter. The second film is about how that, oh, the second film is called Carrying Capacity. And it's about two, it follows two females. One came to hunting during the pandemic because she wanted to get closer to a food source. A second female who's been in the hunting space for almost 20 years, who is, she's not anti new people coming into the hunting space, but recognizes that the hunting space is very full, especially on public land where she hunts. Very interesting dynamic between the two ladies. They don't know each other, but we play them off one another. 
And then the third film that I just saw today that I sent that I sent over to Sig is called Creating Balance. And it's about these guys just saying how important PR is to them. Hmm. And the projects and the people and the staff and how they just are like, what would we do without it? So Yeah. That's that's interesting. You know, that's like you specialize in, that's a part of the story that's not told. And most people treat PR like it's this invisible ally. Like they, they want PR to exist, but not to be acknowledged. And uh, we might as well be honest about it. Yeah, and the honesty shines through in this film, right? Because I think honesty is that, yes, hunting plays a role in PR, but the role is about 30% nowadays. Sure. sure. The shooting community, the one that you're very familiar with, is a 70% income generator for PR. Yeah. And that, that's why we wanted SIG on, on board. And uh, Patrick had just a great idea. It was almost like he was looking around the corner when we came up with this idea of these three films. Because at that time, the Republican uh, out of Georgia, Andrew Clyde, hadn't pushed his restore, um, his restore bill, right? Restore the Second Amendment to what it's supposed to be. Uh, or the return, sorry, the return, the return act. Right. Um, so yeah, I can't wait for everyone to see them, but they are just phenomenal, beautifully shot films, great individuals, just great speaking points. I think you're, you're going to love them. Yeah, I look forward to that. You know, Pittman Robertson is a is a fascinating thing, and it's something that we we scratch the surface of as hunters and as shooters. Um, the history of it all is is difficult to dig up. Um, it's not something that you can just do a quick internet search of and, and find its complete history. I'm curious to see how, you know, moves like, you know, ballot measure 114 here in Oregon mm. af- affect, you know, this state's ability to receive Pittman Robertson funds as well as to be able to generate them. Um, obviously the, the generation part is going to be very, very problematic um, because if, um, if Measure 114 does become implemented, then no one will be able to buy firearms in Oregon for some time. And and probably uh, with the lack of ability to purchase firearms, the ability to purchase ammunition will go down as well. It would only make sense to me. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how Oregon's wildlife will, will suffer because of that, but nationally, all wildlife will suffer because there's going to be fewer funds available for them. Let me ask this question. Uh, let's talk a little bit. I want to, as a, as a, as a preface this through text message, 114 is obviously a, a, a huge thing that's happening in the state of Oregon. You live in the state of Oregon. Um, can you give sort of the lay of the land for those obviously around the world, no idea what, what 114 is and where you guys currently sit with 114? Yeah. And, and don't hold me too accountable for this because there's a lot of legal jargon and, and, finite details that I may get wrong, but the baseline is that measure 14 was, um, was put out as a ballot measure, meaning that the people of the state of Oregon could vote on it. Right. It it passed by 50.65%, which is still like 25,000 votes, right? It was like 950 to 975 or something like that. Right. Yeah. So that, that's still a large, a large group of people, if we're being honest, you know, there's only 7,400 people in my county, which takes about five hours to drive across. Mm, um, okay. So 25,000 people is not nothing, but mm-hmm. uh, 0.65% seems like a small number. 
that's that's just math. Uh, so what, what ballot measure 114 was setting out to do was to create a permit to purchase firearms and a magazine restriction. So the magazine restriction would mean that you could only have 10 rounds in a magazine, um, and anything more than that would, would not be legal. Uh, if you were to modify a magazine by putting a magazine block in it so that now it can only hold 10 rounds, but if you take this block out, it can hold um, 12, for example. Well, now uh, that, that would also be illegal. The exceptions to carrying magazines would be on private property, in a shooting competition, in hunting, or for law enforcement. Um, mm-hmm. There might be another exception, but basically walking around, um, concealed carry, something like that, uh, you're now restricted to only... 10 rounds in a magazine and uh, for a lot of the guns that I own there is no such thing as a 10 round magazine for these guns that that does not exist Uh, another sticking point is say shotguns for example if you have an extended magazine shotgun for maybe snow goose hunting um, well there are two inch shotgun shells on the market now so if you can slam more than 10 of those into that shotgun now that shotgun is illegal some Mm -hmm. of some of these old lever action cowboy rifles uh, that shot pistol cartridges like 45 long colt, um, they could carry more than 10 rounds. So there's guns that were built in the 1800s that are now illegal in Oregon. And then with the permit to purchase portion of it, you would have to obtain a permit to purchase a firearm. But before obtaining that permit to purchase, you would need to take training from somebody who is certified by a law enforcement agency. Now, none of this exists right? This, this training does not exist. Uh, law enforcement has, doesn't have an apparatus or any infrastructure to actually certify trainers. Um, and there's no, there's no extra staff to, to handle these permits. But say you go through this, um, this training that does not exist, and then you um, are eligible to get a permit to purchase firearms, which you can pay for, and that lasts for five years before you'll need to do this training again. Now you'll be able to um, get a, a background check, which is almost identical to the background check that you already need to get. And mm-hmm. after going through all that, then you can get the federal background check, which is um, already required that, you know, in Oregon, before all this uh, malarkey took about three weeks for me to make it through the background check process to purchase a gun. And after all that, um, then you could walk out of there with a with a single shot twenty two rifle and go shoot yourself a rabbit. Jeez. So is one fourteen now a, a a law in Oregon? It's it a is, done deal. It is not. It is not a done deal. Um, so there are six lawsuits that I'm aware of, and a couple that are still in waiting that have that have dropped in this. Um, I filed an amicus brief um, with. Uh, one of these lawsuits, so I'm I'm joining a lawsuit as, as an amicus, as as a friend of of that plaintiff. Um, and currently it sits with a judge in Harney County. Harney County is in southeast Oregon. It's a big wild place, and uh, and fortunately for folks that appreciate guns and the Second Amendment, um, this judge is, uh, leans conservative. Um, as far as I know, he's he's a fair man. He he was a county commissioner before he became a judge, and he's well respected as a judge in his community. 
Um, and on December 23rd, he will be um, hearing from the state again, um, and the state will be attempting to prove that it does not violate the Oregon State Constitution uh, or the U.S. Constitution, that it does not affect um, these rural sheriff offices' um, budgets in, or their ability to continue doing their job, and a number of other things that, um, that the plaintiffs have, have brought up. You know, this law is kind of hard to understand. Um, it, it, was, it was poorly written. This type of thing really should be done in, in legislature and not as a ballot mm-hmm. measure. Mm-hmm. But here we are. So we're kind of waiting to see what, what the state brings forth and, uh, and what this judge has to say about it. You know, the, when you started going through the different things of, like, you need to do this, you need to get training, you need to get a permit, you need to get a background check. I've had some discussions in our past when it when it comes to things like this, or maybe not not gun related, but sort of hunting related, and getting rid of this season, or getting rid of this piece, or getting rid of that piece. And I'm a firm believer of the death by a thousand cuts because I've lived it. Like I've, I've a lot of people are like, well, I've never, I don't, I don't see the examples of death by a thousand cuts. And I said, well, I lived in South Africa. When I was of age to own a firearm and to start using the firearm, there was a certain set of rules that I needed to follow. And even at that time, it was very restrictive. I had one license for the gun. You had to have a license per gun. And I had a 270. And I had to produce that license to get ammunition for only a 270. I couldn't get any other ammunition. And then the laws changed. And then the laws changed to, you had to have a proficiency test every year. You had to then do a written exam every year. You then had to have the police come by and stop by to make sure you've got a safe and that it's bolted to the ground. And it's just, you know, at that point, people are just like, well, there's no point in being a legal gun owner anymore because I've got all these bloody hoops to jump through, which is exactly what you're saying. Yep. Yep. That's right. And, uh, and it is interesting in the U.S. where laws vary so much state to state, as they do in Africa as you go from country to country, or, or Europe when you go from country to country. But the the contrast here, even in the Pacific Northwest and the Intermountain West, is really stark. And I went on a, a trip a couple of years ago to Montana. I dragged my jet boat over there for the 4th of July. I was going to... Um, you know, have a weekend with some friends and we're, we're jet boating on the Yellowstone river. And there was three times in a single day that I asked, do we need a permit for this? And it was like to, to park there, to get on the river, mm. something else. And they're, they're like, no, 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 you just, it's, it's a river. You just drive your boat on it. And that kind of helped me realize how hot the water had gotten back home. That there mm. were so many things that I felt like if I did anything, if I, if I stopped my vehicle in a public place, I needed to have a permit to do so. If mm. I put my boat on a public river, I needed to have a permit to do so. And probably layers of permits, like what you're talking about. And yeah, that that death by a thousand cuts can happen without anyone really realizing that it's happening and all of a sudden you bled to death. 100%. It's um, this country, James, you know, you've obviously fought for this country and thank you for that. And you know, for me, I'm I'm the most appreciative kind of guy because I get to do what I do. I get to live in this country. My boys get to be raised in this country because of guys like you. And 
it, it really struck home to me. Like, I understand the public land system here, and I understand how privileged we are to have it. I was, earlier this year, I was asked to go to Cody, Wyoming for a Bear Foundation banquet. And I arrived, and they're like, do you want to go for a hike, you know, tomorrow morning? I said, yeah, let's go for a hike. And we started driving out of town. And we literally just did what you were suggesting. We, we Not in a jet boat, but we drove to a road. We pulled off to the left-hand side, parked the car, and we just started walking. And they had the Onyx to, to figure out that we're on public land and whatnot. And I said, we can just go do this? We could just go walk wherever we want, with whatever we want, to do whatever we, within legal restraints. And they're like, yeah. And it was just this, like, amazing experience for me, not having been raised around it, that there was this, this landscape that seemed to go on forever. That I got to climb up and sit on the top of the ridge and watch the sunrise, and it was incredible. It is incredible, and we're we're so fortunate. But you know, thank you for thank you for your gratitude on the on the military thing. But I I would point out that it's it's military all over the world that has that has kept everyone stable enough that that we can enjoy these things right if you have you know instability in south africa that affects somebody's ability to enjoy public land in wyoming it absolutely does if you have conflict in ukraine that affects everyone in the united states maybe not mm -hmm. today but it certainly will at the rate that we're spending um so i think that that gratitude needs to needs to go out to military all over the world and not just to the military but to the people that support them because if it weren't for those people they wouldn't do it because people only volunteer for militaries if they think that their society and that the place that they come from is worth that sacrifice and i've met some some uh, military members from south africa who are incredible humans incredible humans and they went through Something that, you know, I, I can barely imagine that really hasn't happened in history very much where, like, some of these guys that are still alive today fought for South Africa against a group who they believed to be terrorists, and then later that group became the government of the country and then, you know, persecuted them as a product of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I just don't know how often that's ever happened in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but they're, they're still proud of their service and they're, they're still good men. And uh, I, I've got a lot of admiration for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. So I-14, measure 14, you know, you gave us a good idea of, of what that looks like in Oregon. Um, but there hasn't... <laughs> I wish I could say that I-114 uh, was the only crazy thing that's come out of Oregon, but... There's been some other crazy things, and and one that's still sort of brewing under the surface. It got bit, it got beaten back quite substantially. Is IP13 and whatever it's going to be called next? I think it's IP3 or something like that now, right? Yeah, and I don't follow this one a lot, all that closely. I've probably had more. I've had as many requests to do a podcast on that 
topic as I've had people ask me where I hunt elk, you know, um, <laughs> and I, I just haven't really uh, publicly talked about either one of those things all that much. And p- part of me just doesn't want to kick the bear or even give it credibility. But yeah, IP 13 was this, uh, was an anti-animal abuse um, proposal. So it wasn't even a ballot measure. It was a proposal and they needed to get a whole bunch of signatures in order to turn it into a ballot measure. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I, a couple of years ago, drugs got decriminalized in Oregon. So you can have a couple of grams of meth um, on you and get stopped by the police. And, you know, that's the same category as like a, a speeding ticket. And it, after that, uh, the other laws that started getting pitched out there were uh, were pretty crazy. It's almost like a bunch of people were were doing drugs with impunity and coming up with these wacky ideas. <laughs> but yeah, and IP thirteen was crazy, dude. It was yeah, like it was full bars dumb. Yeah, it was like artificial insemination is sexual abuse on cattle, or or milking a cow would be you know sexual abuse or sexual assault on a cow. Um, they want, they didn't want you to kill any animal under any circumstances. So, uh, in order to eat something, it would have to die of natural causes. And now you're just eating carrion, like you're a damn coyote or something. <laughs> and it, you know, it, I get it kind of like people come laugh. up with this You've stuff. Like they, they, they don't want animals to get hurt. They don't want animals to suffer. They love animals. And I do too. Like I don't spend hours and days of my life talking about which broadheads function because I make money off of it or because it improves my quality of life to talk about that. I do it so that other people can take the information and knowledge that I have and then apply it to to their future adventures and that an animal that they shoot with a bow is less likely to be wounded and suffer, right? I, I absolutely care about animals and I just do it from a place of, of more education because I spend more time with them. Um, mm-hmm. It's like the, the mountain lion thing in, in California is a prime example, and I bring it up fairly often, but there were more mountain lions killed in the years following um, the ban of mountain lion hunting than there were in the years preceding it. But people, yep. you know, they voted for this ban because they didn't want mountain lions to get killed. And then the result of that is that more mountain lions get killed. So I know where yeah, they're coming from. Yeah, but it's not from. out in the public, right? It's not this. It's not a hunter out in the public celebrating his kill, James. Sure, um, and you know, mountain lions are, are are a Disney animal, and and that changes people. You know, if if our introduction to an animal is is make believe, and it's at an early age, that's when we're very impressionable. And unless you get consistent reinforcement that that that's incorrect, and then that's another colorized world uh it's hard for us to ever really change our minds about that yep i um it's so funny how the it's and it's almost the truth and the proof that you have to show right it's it's almost like it's the same argument that's happening in the uk right now the uk saying we want to ban the import of trophies coming into the UK, regardless of where it's coming out of the world, but the majority of the, the animals that they talk about is coming out of Africa. And their rhetoric is that they're saving wildlife. Same situation with the mountain lions in California. Stop hunting 
we're saving mountain lions. When it's actually the opposite that's going to happen. Like you said, more mountain mountain lions got killed in Africa. There's no value on the wildlife anymore, so it's going to be replaced with cattle or goats or row crop agriculture, and wildlife's going to get decimated. Yeah, or or, or poaching, or a combination of all of those things. Um, and then with that, you get you don't only have the habitat loss and the deforestation, but you also have real impacts on climate, and and that's that's a real thing. Like if you if you really change what that landscape looks like you're also changing the way that landscape behaves. Um, and, you know, Africa is in a pretty awful drought right now, a lot of it, East Africa and South Africa. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's hurting. But the, the California mountain lion thing isn't a one-off, right? Kenya right. is another fantastic example of what happens when you ban hunting. So you can find these examples all over the world, anywhere you look at them. It's like, okay, we banned hunting, then what happened? Not what you would think. What what happens no, it's is interesting. We, we loved it to death. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that's interesting. No, uh, the Kenya example is one that we use all the time. And you're right. They did lose a, 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 a vast majority of their wildlife. We have some very ardent listeners out of Kenya. Uh, one called, a guy called Zarek Kokar. And, um, what up, Zarek? Zarek. That's, a, that's a cool name. Zarek, I apologize. I might, I might have messed up your last name because I said Kokar. It could be Kokar. It could be Cocker. I don't know. I apologize, Zarek. Uh, but he's an ardent listener, and he, he, he sends me some very, very detailed emails, one of which was about Kenya's wildlife and how, yes, you're right. They've lost a lot of their wildlife, and they've lost the tool called hunting to manage their wildlife. So Kenya has had to come up with means and ways to generate income that is a, is almost a blended land use cattle ecotourism and other things sort of blending together to maximize the wildlife value on on the land and he's pretty proud of it and they should be because you know their hands are tied essentially and i don't think hunting's ever going to come back to kenya it'll be a bloody miracle if it does um but Zarek will, will will probably send me an email because of your statement and our conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you know we we do something similar here on the Six Ranch where we use cattle to manage the grass. Mm. Um, so our our product here on the ranch is grass, which is this magical thing, right? We can't eat grass. We can create it by combining sun, soil, and water. Um, and then these magical cows can come along and turn it into protein. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, if you do that wrong, you can hurt the land and then the grass doesn't come back right. If you do it wrong, you don't take enough grass and it becomes wolfy and coarse and it's not good for anything. It's not good for wildlife. It's not good for cattle. But if we do it right, then the whitetail and the mule deer and the huns and the quail and the steelhead and the salmon in the river everything gets along with the cattle and when our wildlife is crushing it that's when i know that our grazing plan was perfect that year Mm -hmm. and if you Mm -hmm. if you drive around this area you'll see you can drive for a long ways and see nothing and then you'll get here 
and there's this tremendous diversity and population of all kinds of wildlife and it's mostly because we take really really good care of this land that's been in the family for so long and because i'm pretty darn hard on the predators um, mm-hmm. so combining those two things makes it a pretty happy place for everything else yep you you're, you got it right man you know regenerative agriculture there's is definitely a movement around it and being one with with the surroundings and one with wildlife and ensuring, you know, the, the carbon cycle and the soil cycle and everything's in, in tune with one another and everything can flourish. It's not a if or scenario, it's an if and scenario. So, yeah, in, you know, regenerative agriculture is such a funny thing, funny name. Um, and there's like biodynamic farming and organic farming and, uh, you know, some of these phrases that have just sort of popped up. I remember when organic started to become a thing and, you know, we were sitting here like, well, what is that? They're like, well, I I guess it's like where you don't use any chemicals like on your animals or any pesticides or anything like that. I was like, really? Like people are paying extra for that? They're like, yeah, evidently (laughs) it's like the thing. I was like, well, we've been doing that forever. And it wasn't necessarily because we're you know, had some type of opposition towards that type of agriculture. It's that our margins were super low and we we're barely scraping by and it's cheaper to buy a shovel than it is a whole bunch of pesticide. So when organic became a thing, everybody was like trying to swap their, their ranches and their farms over to it. And, you know, they had, they had some really difficult transitions and we were like, Hey, we've kind of already, already been doing that. Works great. Here's some beef. Hope you enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, it it was really fortunate timing that the market went that direction, but we were already there and, Mm -hmm. and I can, I can see the benefits of that. And I take my hat off to the people who have tried to make that transition away from fertilizers and pesticides, because there are some just heartbreaking years in that transition. It's not Mm -hmm. easy to do. Mm -hmm. No, a hundred percent, hundred percent. James, you know, we started this podcast talking about how, like, when we started in this in 2017, it's probably a fitting end to the podcast to talk about, you know, you've been, you've been now looking and watching and observing just like we have for five years. And you've gotten a better, probably a bit, you, you definitely have a better feel for the hunting space, for the hunting industry. If you had a magic wand, and I, and I, I this is unfair because I, you asked for some questions to prep for and I didn't send this one to you, but if you had a magic wand, is there something that you see that you're like, shit, I wish I could just get rid of that? No. For no. hunting? No, absolutely not. Um, do you know about the philosophy of hard determinism? No, never heard of it. Okay. Tell me about it. Um, this is one of the ways that that I cope with the tragedies that I experienced in war. But it, it takes uh, Newton's third law of physics, being that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And it extrapolates okay. that in, in two different directions. One being that however all this got started, whether it was God or, you know, a coyote and a raven or 
um, the Big Bang Theory, whatever your creation story is, mm-hmm. let's consider that the first action. And then everything to occur after that is a reaction, right? Um, so if you keep going down that road, everything that exists today, everything that's happening right now, is a reaction to something that has already happened. Meaning that this conversation, what we're talking about, um, is inevitable. That as soon as we met in Indianapolis or wherever that ATA was, um, that this was going to happen eventually no matter what. So I think that everything that happens um, is inevitable. That doesn't release us from trying to do the right thing. If anything, um, we should try even harder. But for me to say, it, you know, I have a magic wand, I'm going to change stuff, um, that would be going against my own philosophy of the world and my own understanding of physics. That's an interesting, interesting viewpoint in that I see it, but I can also see the other side of the coin, which is if there was something there that I, would imp- that I could improve, and whether that improvement is get rid of it or change it or whatnot, then I would want to do that. Okay, I've got one. I've got one. Okay. If, if we're going to dip into the hypotheticals. Dip in the hypothetical for me. Come on. It would be illegal to consider a llama a pack animal. <laughs> that contributes oh nothing to hunting whatsoever. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's the silliest trend you could imagine. If my granddad knew that this was going on, he would rise up out of the grave. Um, this is crazy and people continue to do it it is the silliest thing out there and it's dangerous when llamas come up against horses and mules in the backcountry it causes disasters it's unnecessary oh my god stop doing it stop bringing llamas hunting with you it's nuts that's it oh my that's god. my magic wand wish right there okay stop so i would have <laughs> lost money i would have lost money <laughs> if someone had listened to this for 45 44 minutes and stopped it and said, do you think, what would you think James's answer would be based on what you've just learned about James? <laughs> I would have said, this guy's going to, you know, he's going to philosophize about some sort of introspective look into the industry and how perceptions can be changed because of, you know, revelations, theology, philosophical viewpoints, and this is the path forward. Yeah. And what we get is llamas. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a... Uh... Is this you, James Nash? Is this like, <laughs> this is your personality? Like, it just flip-flops between... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think so. I think it might be. Um, oh, man. No, I... You know... Too funny. We can be Too serious funny. about stuff. Um I love but it. I think I think one of our one of our mistakes in the community right now, um, whether you're on the commercial or the recreational side of it, or spiritual, you know, there's there's so many facets. It'd be mundane to to try to name them all. Um, we take ourselves a little bit too seriously, a lot, and um, it, it's it's getting to the point where if you if you make jokes about something like that, then people just start you know crawling out of the cracks and and say no no you can't say that we're we need to stick together blah blah blah. like 
Now we can make jokes. Um, and in <laughs> fact, we should uh, about ourselves, <laughs> about each other. Uh, yeah, that's that's something that I miss very much about about military life is that um, it's the most unoffendable population that you'll ever come across. <laughs> and it's almost like it, it's a constant competition to like push the edge and like see if you can get a rise out of somebody. And you end up just bulletproofing yourself against criticism or like jacked up things that your friends can say. It's pretty healthy, I think. Yeah, I think so. Oh, we've been accused of being too serious. And um, I've certainly taken it to heart. And we've got some content coming that almost gets a sort of a little insight into the behind the scenes of what happens behind the scenes after filming for 12 hours a day. And I think it gives a, 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 a you know, a, a better insight to me. And I'm a funny, I enjoy being a jokester. I enjoy being a prankster. What you see from me is very serious, obviously through the platform and the brand, because I take it very seriously, right? I take this thing that we love so much very seriously. I take it being around for my boys very seriously. But it doesn't always have to be serious because there's things about it that we love and there's things about it that are pretty funny. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I appreciate your humor, my man. I, I did not expect that answer and it put a massive smile on my face. What, what can I be doing to, to help you right now? Man, I want us to do. I want us to figure out some things because I think that philosophically, I think I'd love to d dive deeper a little bit. Um, I think there's things that we can explore, and I appreciate you even offering and asking that question. Um, yeah, let's 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 chat because 2023 is going to be a big year, and um, there's lots of things that come across your plate and come across sort of from an idea perspective and storytelling perspective and. You know, we're just interested in simply like our mission statement is conveying the truth about hunting and hunters. That's it. In yeah. the story. Yeah. And there's so many good stories to tell out there. So there 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 are. And we are starting to lose our ability to tell them because so much of of what we consume for entertainment we consume in, in two second bits. And uh and try as I might, I can't tell a story in two seconds. Mm -hmm. um, I need, I need a solid thirty-five seconds of your life to to tell any kind of a story. But if you can hang with, if you can hang in there for for fifty minutes on a podcast or an hour on a podcast, now you can get into it. And I think that you mm -hmm. you find the same thing that I do, is that when when I go out. And, you know, people, people recognize me and they, you know, they've listened to a thousand hours of me ramble about stuff on the show. They feel like they know me and they've had a good opportunity to get some really strong insight into who I am. I don't have that same advantage with them. Um, so they come up and, you know, it's like, it's, it, it, it's like they're talking to somebody um, who's a friend and, and I, I just met them. Um, right. And that's because the format has lengthened and now there's a relationship that's developing in this really interesting 21st century way. Um, and I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it too. Well, let me, I, I know one thing for sure that I'm going to try in 23 and I know you'll have a story for it. You have a, a really funny comedic hunting story. 
Oh, yeah. I've got an even better one, though, from my earliest days of guiding, uh, which wasn't necessarily hunting related. Um, if, if you uh, can... Is it a funny story, like it, something that happened in the backcountry? Yeah, yeah. So hold on to that. We, okay. we're, um, we're exploring the idea, and I let, it, I let it loose on our roundup. I'm exploring the idea of starting a second podcast through Blood Origins, because we really... Ha- you know, we create content for the non-hunting majority. That's the point of our content. Hunters will pick it up. Hunters soak in the seed of that content and distribute it out. But really, we don't create content that is very hunting specific. Okay? Mm. We have a community of hunters that follow us, obviously. So I wanted to explore a, a podcast that was very much like the old school storytelling type podcast. Yep. Like you were sitting around a fire and you're telling the story of what happened to you 15 years ago. I love and it. it's almost like we operate as that person to say, well, tell me a little bit more about that. What did the creek feel like? What did they... So you, you're almost asking the narrator to really put more detail into the story beyond what he would if he was just narrating it himself. I've got some good ones for you, buddy. I, I hope you do it. Um, because we'll do it. You'll be on the, it. Those, those stories need to be preserved, too. Um, because they are, 100%. Dying. they are dying right now. 100%. And they're literally dying. And we have the ability to keep them in the person's voice who experienced it. And, man, we got to do that. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Um, we got a freaking, I got a cool... Already the, the, the logo and whatnot set up, it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Can't oh, wait to show you. It's in the bag. You got the logo. You got the yeah, gear. Yeah, I've done it already. Yeah. I'm already. I'm way down the line already. Nothing holding you down. <laughs> James Nash, uh, if people want to learn more about you, find out where you are, how's the best way for people to um, find you? Uh, Six Ranch Out- Outfitters on Instagram, Six Ranch Podcasts, anywhere that you get podcasts. Uh, yeah, those are, those are the easiest ones. And, uh, and I'm, I'm still pretty responsive. I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where I can't get to everybody. Uh, but gosh, I, I I do put hours in every day that I have cell signal to, uh, to make sure that I'm answering people's questions to the best of my ability. Um, because people didn't do that for me. And, uh, and I felt very slighted by that. Uh, like, like they're, they were too busy, uh, and couldn't be bothered. I don't, ever want to be that guy um so well as long as i have the capacity to be there for everyone i'm going to yep neither do we man neither do we well it's been a pleasure my man it's not gonna be the last time we chat sounds good sir hope to see you this winter well that's it for today i appreciate you listening as always leave a review share it with your friends and most importantly do what's right to convey the truth around hunting